Nuclear proliferation. Global pandemic. Famine. Environmental genocide. War. Mankind teeters on the brink of a second dark age. Everywhere you turn, chaos, anarchy, and shadow. In these bleak days, under the fading light, where businesses and the little guy are left for dead on the side of the byway, and people cry out for the rule of law, humanity is at a breaking point where there is no light at the end of the tunnel, and everything good seems to have been barred, or banned, or barred. Two men offer up their voices in the darkness, a shining beacon leading the huddled masses into the safe harbor of good business practices and occasional time travel. Here are your hosts, the Sirens of Sanity, David Pridham, and L. Bradley Sheaf. There you have it, buddy. The great clash version of the song, I Fought the Law. And here in this fine country of ours, seems like many folks are in fact currently fighting the law. We got folks on one side that are fighting these vaccine mandates and losing their jobs. We've got folks on the other side that appear to be fighting sort of natural and economic laws with respect to what we can do with our economy, what we can do with all these screwed up ships that cannot get into port. We don't have enough trucks to get the products on the road. Everybody's fighting various and sundry laws. And as is usually the case, the law is winning. Well, Brad, uh, good day. And uh, yeah, I think it is. I think it is winning. Uh, my favorite version of that song was actually done by the late, great Gloria Gaynor, who also sang I Will Survive, albeit in the in the 70s, but did a little bit of a better version of that. And also a favorite artist in certain alternate night spots, Gloria Gaynor. I don't know anything about that, but I'll take your word on it. You've never heard of Gloria Gaynor, the great no, uh, I've singer? heard of her, but I've never heard her version of I Fought the Law. Oh, okay. So that's the part you didn't understand of that. Okay. Well, good enough. Well, good enough. Well, welcome, uh, Brad. Welcome, everyone here. Another episode has started of IP Frequently, uh, the number one business show, or as uh, Brad likes to say, program. And we're uh, uh, sitting here ensconced in the... Um, studio here, live studio audience this week. I've got about uh, five dozen uh, people here in the audience, many of them, Brad, merchant marines. Really? I would. I, I find that hard to believe because my understanding is the vast majority of our poor merchant marines are trapped at sea uh, because our secretary of transportation can't seem to get the ports organized. But well, for he- those that are not, I'm pleased to see that they've chosen to be in our audience. They're in our studio. Many of them have copies of our uh, our many books or patents uh, to sign, and Brad and I will be signing those at the end of the program. Uh, but uh, Brad, uh, our our Secretary of Transportation is where we'll start off this week. Great man. Uh, he uh, is obviously steering the ship uh, of state, so to speak, with respect to our our ports, with respect to our overall uh, supply chain. And uh, come to find out this week that he has been in the middle of a months long uh, paternity leave while ships are lined up a couple of miles deep at uh, many of our large ports. Uh, The ports are shutting down for 12 to 15 hours a day. 
And uh, uh, it's okay, though, because uh, Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation, has been on paid paternity leave uh, while he welcomes his new child into this world. What do you think, Brad? Do you think that's uh, an appropriate use of taxpayers' money? How do you even respond to something like that, right? Like, like, like Certainly, I believe that people should be given time off when they have a child. I mean, traditionally, obviously, the mom if she is a working mom, gets time off. Obviously, there are countries, um, not to include this one, at least at this point, where the dad also gets time off to be with the kid. And I think all that's great. I mean, obviously, having a child or adopting a child, as I'm sure was the case here, um, is a big moment in any family's life. You want to make sure that that transition process goes smoothly, that, you know, that, that everybody's well taken care of in that. There's a chance to nest, you know, all those good things. And so generally speaking, I am for all of that. I, I was very fortunate to have been given my previous career to have been home for all four of my children's births. I had to hit the road immediately following in a couple of cases, um, like in one case the next day, um, but at least I was home for their births and that's, that's a great thing. And so I am for that. But at, at some point when you voluntarily take a job at a certain level, so you are a senior executive with a very large company. You are a senior leader within the Department of Defense. You are a senior leader within any of the executive branches. Certainly, if you are a cabinet level secretary, you sort of waive your right to just drop off the face of the earth because you have a child coming up. Is that optimal? I don't know. No one's ever asked me to be a cabinet level secretary, but I know if I took that job, that I would be giving up certain rights and privileges that others have, because that's a very important position within our country, any cabinet level secretary. And so I, I believe what old Buttigieg's folks yes. said was he was completely offline for four weeks and then was you know sort of back at it for another four weeks while staying at home. You cannot drop offline for four straight weeks if you are a cabinet level secretary especially if you are the secretary of transportation and we can't get ships into our ports. I mean, what does that say about how much you care about your position, how much you care about the functioning of the economy of the United States? I mean, I just, I don't know how you could possibly, it wouldn't even occur to me to do that, right? I, I might try to stay at home. I would certainly be available. I would not be offline. I'm sure you wouldn't be either. I just, I don't get it. Yeah, what, what does he do? Turn the phone off? I mean, up till now, his biggest faux pas has been the fact that he had federal marshals drive him to within a block of the uh, the uh, DOT office in D.C. And then he'd get out and he'd get the bike out of the back and he'd bike the last 50 feet to the building, which was kind of cute. Right. I mean, a little bit quirky, a little bit odd. Maybe he didn't want to get sweaty in his suit, but he'd literally wear the suit, get on the bike. And we've talked about this before. And then just coast down the street. It was usually uphill where they'd let him off and just sort of coast down the street. He'd hand the bike to the same agent. They'd put it back in the car. He'd march into the building. But now we find out that he hasn't even been doing the bike trick lately. Right. He's been he shut his phone off for, as you said, four weeks off the grid. Um, and then he's been off the grid, you know, several months after that or, or on and off. He's been doing some TV interviews. But I guess a couple of things come to mind is, you know, one, is this really per the person 
you want running the DOT? And if your answer is no, which I think ours is, does it really matter? Right? Does it really matter? I mean, you've got this guy off the grid with the, the new baby. You've got Kamala Harris running around at uh, antebellum homes, interviewing child actors to show her sensitive side. You've got the president just screaming at people um, in, uh, in, in different, uh, different venues over the past week about the vaccine and calling people un-American who don't want to take the vaccine or ask any questions about the vaccine. So, you know, it seems to me that if several of these people would just go off the grid, right, we wouldn't hear from them for several months. And if we did, maybe they just coast by in their scooter. That may not be the worst thing for this country, because I can say this with certainty, whether or not Mayor Pete is sitting there at the DOT, right, whether or not he's there, those cargo ships are still going to be lined up. And maybe, quite frankly, if we were in the office, there'd be a few more lined up to get into port. Well, buddy, make a fine point. I frankly don't think most of the cabinet level officers in this cabinet or frankly, many cabinets are qualified for the jobs that they are given. That's all political. Everybody knows it. I mean, this is just the economy is is in trouble, right? We have a supply chain that is severely stressed. There are hundreds, if not thousands of ships um, in the open sea trying to find ports in the U.S. where they can where they can dock and unload Texas and now Florida have come forward and they've said, effectively, they're not on paid paternity leave, uh, but they've come forward. And Governor DeSantis in Florida and Abbott in Texas have both said, come to our ports. We'll take you. We've been open 24 seven for some time. And those ports seem to be working quite well. Right. I mean, that, again, is part of our problem. Um, with this, you, you know, this sort of great divide in the American culture, and that we got, as you point out, we've got certain places that run under one, you know, sort of philosophy or worldview, and certain places that run under another, and that's not helping us with our discourse as a country, and it's certainly not helping us with our economy. Well, but that's that's part of the uh, system that we have here. I mean, it's sort of like. Yeah, when you have areas that and when you look through COVID, I mean, certain areas of this country have, have, have thrived and other areas have not. And, and and the hope would be that the people in this country would look to those areas that have thrived for their next leaders. Right. If you want to um, continue the, the roller coaster we've been been on for 20 some odd years, then, you know, go choose the governor of California as your next president. Choose Mayor Pete, if he's out of paternity leave, um, as your next president, choose someone who's unaccomplished, who has failed to lead and stand up during a pandemic. That's one way you can go. The hope would be people would say, well, wait a minute. You know, the guy down in Texas has done a good job. The guy over in Florida, he's he's done a uh, he's done a pretty good job. They've they've dealt with significant adversity. They dealt with the same COVID crisis everyone else has dealt with, but they've managed to, for the most part, keep their states open and, and keep their states moving uh, moving forward and keep their economies going. And if you look at the difference between the ports in Florida and the ports in California, it's night and day. I mean, California is a mess and the ports are no small part of that mess. And there are literally traffic jams of boats just sitting there waiting to get into, waiting to get into port to get unloaded. The problem is, as you and I discussed at length last week, is that there is no reality anymore, 
right? Is that, you know, depending on which particular media outlet you listen to, you know, Governor DeSantis of Florida is either the second coming or he's Satan himself, right? Same guy, right? That guy rolls out of the same bed every morning, puts the same pair of pants on, presumably one leg at a time, unless he has some sort of contraption that holds up his pants and maybe he does. And he's exactly the same person, but depending on your viewpoint, he's either amazingly good at leadership or he is driving the state of Florida, you know, into the abyss. In fact, I saw something, there was some gal, I think she writes for the LA times that wrote this op-ed piece that was, you know, sort of getting on her liberal colleagues in the media for what she referred to as both ciderism, right? Which is she's saying, hey, we can't do that anymore. You know, as journalists, we can't try to, to present an objective view of anything. That's a disservice to our constituency. We have to just push the liberal viewpoint and push it and push it and push it. Otherwise, those evil Republicans are going to win. Well, Okay, but that's not journalism, right? I mean, that's that is being a propagandist, and that's fine if that's what you want to do. If you believe that your side of an issue is absolutely right, that is inerrant, that there is no problem with it, that it is the only way to go, then you can certainly choose to be a propagandist, but you need to resign from a newspaper, right? And just, you know, do go someplace where propagandists are employed, or at least are supposed to be employed, right? The problem is no one wants to, pre to present reality and say, hey, here, here's the whole thing with all of its, you know, pockmarks and, and errors and problems. You know, this is where we're actually at, and we have to decide what direction we're going to move from here. No one wants to do that. They just want to push their particular version of propaganda, call it journalism, and then sit back and watch what happens. And that is exactly how we wind up where we are. When there's no truth, when there's no reality, when there's no objectivity, when in fact journalists are saying we cannot be objective, that's the wrong way to go. We have to solely push our subjective viewpoint. Then, you know, it's every man for himself. And I don't know how that's going to work and hold a country the size and complexity of the United States together. I just don't know how that's going to work. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I, I uh, hate to um, uh, agree with you, but it, it, we have become a country where uh, people don't care about, we were talking last last week about the, the difference between equity and, and slash equality and equal opportunity. And in this case, the, the ends always justify the means and the ends is always sort of what this new group think is, right? And so it's it's this whole concept of you can't go anywhere for actual facts everyone has their own set of facts everyone has their own set of truth and and you know folks in 2016 or 2000 right folks in 2000 would say the same people that said bush was selected not elected the same people that said in 2004 you know kerry beat bush and and you know bush stole the ohio election and was calling for reform and checking the voting machines. You know, the same people who in 2016 said that the Russians hacked our election and, and stole votes for, for Trump um, are now saying you cannot challenge 
an election and you should never have a um, recount or an audit or anything like that. It's the same thing, right? You you have your your set of facts and they're subjective and they're not verifiable. And you know, one guy says it, the other guy swears to it and it's over. And if you question it, you know, you're canceled or you're out. That's the type of mentality that got us where we are. That's why our ports are so stacked up. And quite frankly, that's what gets you things like Mayor Pete at the DOT instead of getting someone in there who can actually you know, run the Department of Transportation. Uh, Brad, one thing I noticed this past week, our president got up and he started talking about this uh, former senator from the state of Connecticut, Chris Dodd. And Chris Dodd, former senator, um, did a lot to get insurance companies to relocate to Connecticut, very pro-insurance business. That's why they call the Hartford the Hartford. Um, and uh, he had a lot of famous run-ins with uh, cocktail waitresses in the 1980s when he was running through DC night spots with your friend and mine, uh, Ted Kennedy. Uh, well, this week, Joe Biden uh, had a uh, uh, an occasion to give a speech at the opening of the Dodd Center in uh, Hartford, Connecticut, surprise, surprise. And as part of that, he alluded to uh, an incident where uh, Senator Dodd and Senator Kennedy actually pulled a waitress into a booth and um, uh, let's just say groped her. And he said that, and I quote, I've never seen Chris figuratively or otherwise uh, uh, disrespect any waitress or waiter. Our president literally said that uh, in a speech. So it sort of gets back to the whole thing. You know, one, if 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 Trump had ever said that, it would be off the rails craziness, right? Off the rails craziness about uh, having to impeach him. But two, it calls into judgment the president and his decision making for even bringing such an incident up. It's cringeworthy to begin with, a borderline criminal, I guess. Uh, but maybe he should take a paternity leave. Do you think he's able to do that? Let me get this straight. So he's at the opening of the Chris Dodd Center, right? Correct. Okay, so let's set aside why the, they're the even Dodd the Center. Dodd. I'm sorry, Brad. Brad, it's the Dodd Center for Human Rights for at human the University rights of Connecticut. Of, Connecticut. of course, of course, it is because you that's can't. the world we live in. That there would be a Dodd rights. Center for Human Rights. So let's, but let's set that aside because we could go on and on about that. And I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that no one prior to Biden taking the podium had said, hey, this seems like a questionable idea because Chris Dodd is literally famous for having been part of this, you know, waitress sandwich with Ted Kennedy. I mean, that that has been news, that, a thing, as people say in this day and age, for a long time, right? I mean, that's, no one has, it's been a while since anybody ever said, gee, I wonder if that actually happened. Well, let's, let's right, so let, me just, let me just run that down for you. In a 1990 article, uh, the senators who were both then single asked for the waitress uh, to, to come over while the dates, their dates were in the bathroom. When she arrived, the six foot two, 225 pound Kennedy grabbed her. She was five foot three, 103 pounds and threw her on the table, sending plates flying. Uh, they then uh, allegedly picked her up. Kennedy threw her again, this time on top of uh, Chris Dodd. And then Ted Kennedy jumped on top and began, began rubbing his you know, private parts, supporting his weight on the arms of the chair next. To I mean, it's just this bullshit. It's the stuff that's, that's, you know, it's criminalized today and it should be, but it's, it's this insane episode from the past. And 
you know, you, you hear let sleeping dogs lie, but the president actually got up in a speech and said he had, quote, never seen Chris Dodd. And apropos of nothing, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's the key part. Like, no one had said, hey, Chris Dodd did this, right? I mean, did Biden decided all, on, all by himself that if there was one thing he was going to bring up, it was going to be that? It's crazy. And, and then, the, uh, well, yeah, I mean, again, we say it every week, but I mean, the cheese has slid off his cracker, obviously. It, it gets better because then the next day he goes <clears throat> on, on uh, uh, TV from the White House in a press conference, not a press conference, in a speech. And he basically went on and on about the mask mandate and the vaccine and how they're both uh, patriotic duties. And if you don't get vaccinated, you're not an American. And if you don't wear a mask, you're not an American. And the District of Columbia obviously has a very stringent masking requirement. Uh, anyway, that night, uh, a bunch of people recorded him walking through a D.C. restaurant to the, the door, supposedly, um, without a mask on, sauntering through. Um, his wife as well. So, it, it, you know, there, there's something here off, right? There's something here off, but there's also something here that's a little bit problematic from a, uh, you know, from, from the perspective of, you know, do as I say, not as I do, right? This arrogance of power that this guy has when he has a lucid moment is troubling. Well, but I mean, again, it, it's I, your statement, when he has a lucid moment is the key one, right? I'm not sure he has very many of them. And I, <laughs> I, I don't know why he get up at any sort of public gathering. That's in honor of a person and basically raise probably the most infinite, you know, experience of their lives. And I certainly don't know why you then the next day get up and harangue the nation, right? Everyone's sick of hearing it. It doesn't matter whether you believe there should be vaccine and mass mandates or not. Everyone is sick of hearing it, and he cannot get off that. There's a thousand other things that is going wrong in the country that definitely need executive attention. He can't provide it, and then you know he goes off and very publicly doesn't listen to his own advice. I mean that the the real problem is not with mass mandates, vaccine mandates, Joe Biden and his lucid moments. The real problem is that no one believes that this country is actually being led by the president, by the elected president, or frankly, for that matter, the vice president. And no one has any idea who, if anyone, is doing any leading. And that causes you know, stress and concern, whether you're a small business owner, a big business owner, you're, you're working in, a, in the public or private. It doesn't matter. That's incredibly stressful to think that there's no one driving the boat. And you know, you know when you look down the bench at who might do it, there's no real comfort there either. And I think what they don't get, right? And I'm I'm one that I I wear masks uh, where where they're required. I I don't have a problem with that. I don't think it's a big that big of an inconvenience for me. Um, and I I get the whole thing about making people comfortable, and I don't look to get into arguments with people over that. I'm vaccinated, as I think you are. Um, and you know, we for me anyway, it was a, it was a health decision. It, it made sense. I looked at the numbers and, and the, the statistics that we have, and I made my personal choice. But the fact that we have these leaders just flouting um, their own rules and, the, and their own laws that they've 
in, encouraged that they they lecture us on. I mean, you know, everything from this whole Biden thing with the mask to that mayor in Chicago, the same thing. Like two nights later, your 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 former um, hometown mayor, I think you worked for at some point, Brad, uh, Lori Lightfoot gave a similar lecture to the constituents of hers in Chicago, saying, if you're indoors, you wear a mask. That's it. Within six hours, she was taking selfies at a WNBA game. You know, the WNBA, Brad, it's in the middle of its uh, its uh, finals run where she was taking selfies in an, in an, in an arena indoors um, without a mask, without a mask. And she's just posting them on social media. Um, and then if you dare question her, she just says, well, I was taking a selfie. I mean, my word, I, you know, I'm, I'm not someone who's like, you know, trying to work a, a, a nine to five job and I take my mask off for a minute and I get just eviscerated by everyone who's listening to this phony uh, go on and on about how important it is to wear masks at all times. Um, so I, I think I think people are seeing that. I think people are getting sick of it. And when you look at what's happening overseas, you look at all the protests in Europe and in, in, in Asia and Australia over these, not so much in Asia, but Europe, Australia, um, over these mask mandates, uh, they're, they're becoming larger and larger and people are getting pissed and people are getting pissed because the, their governments don't tell them necessarily the truth. And the government doesn't have the, 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 the guts to say, we don't know when, when they don't know, they just make it up. And then the leaders always um, act in a way that diverges from what they tell you to do. And so that's all incredibly troubling. And, and, and as an average citizen, it's, it's something that makes me question all of our leaders. Well, nobody likes a hypocrite, right? I mean, just no one likes at any level, right? You don't like a hypocrite as your neighbor. You certainly don't like one as the leader of your country. And that's all we've got, right? And then you look at this and, and it doesn't matter you don't have to be a scientist. You don't have to understand the science in any way. All you have to be able to do is look and say, and I do this all the time here in the great state of Colorado, where my family and I live. And when you're we, not in some hotel, when I'm not in some hotel and we live in an area where the high schools are just vastly spread out. So we, we cover hundreds of miles to go watch our daughter play volleyball. And you'll go to one school district and a mask is required in their gym. And then the next day you'll go to another school district in the same conference and no mask is required in their gym, right? So let's say you've never learned a thing about science and you have no idea how disease is communicated between people. You, you just don't have any idea, but you, you're told that a mask can prevent that from happening. And, and then on two separate back-to-back -back days, you go to one place and they tell you, you got to wear this thing. And another place they tell you, you don't immediately, you know, that no one knows what the truth is, right? I mean, if, if that, you can derive from just that, that there is no clear consensus about whether or not these mask things work or they don't work. And then you can reasonably look around and go, well, well where, where are the scientists, right? I mean, the, the ones who are supposed to know how this works and they will tell you two very conflicting things. In fact, if you listen to Fauci, He'll tell you two conflicting things spread out over a couple of weeks, right? And, and so that's why people are pissed, right? I agree with you. I do the same thing. I am vaccinated when there's a, a, a private establishment or a school or whatever that says, hey, put your mask on before you come in here. I just do it, right? It's not worth having the pissing contest. Who cares? To your point, 
unless you happen to be working out or something where breathing is necessary, the mask is not that big of a deal. And so I don't think it's wearing it or not wearing it that pisses people off. It's the clear fact that it is that whether or not you're going to be asked to wear it has nothing to do with whether or not that mask increases, decreases, or has no impact on your chance of being infected with COVID-19 or any other disease. It's entirely political. And in this country, we don't like, we have a long history of telling authority, hey, go screw. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do just because you tell me to do it. We sort of founded our country on that. And so it should come as no surprise that when it's clear that politicians are telling us, hey, you must do this or not do it just because I say so, and it's clear there is no consensus within the data as to what the right behavior is, then Americans are going to get pissed off about that. And they are. Yeah. And, and, and the same goes for some of these vaccine mandates. I mean, we've seen in the past week, you know, the Navy is now um, pursuant to Biden's order has basically instituted an, a requirement that all active duty personnel must be vaccinated or discharged by the end of the month or be the end of November. And so and you're seeing this in, you know, across the board in the, in the government. And this is causing a lot of people to leave the, uh, leave the Navy. And, and you're also in police forces where states are, are basically invoking similar vaccine mandates. Uh, you're seeing police forces go down by 20, 30, sometimes even 40 percent. Uh, the viral video this week that was out of a police officer signing off in, in Seattle after the governor there required every police officer get vaccinated, regardless of whether or not you've tested positive, previously had COVID and have all the antibodies and have better potential uh, immunity than one who's vaccinated. Um, so it's it's just crazy what's uh, what's going on. And I think the mask thing, the mandate thing, People are starting to get ticked off. And then you see what happened even more recently with Southwest Airlines. I mean, they were going to furlough every unvaccinated um, uh, employee, and they've now sort of stepped back from that. And they said that rather than do that, which would put them in, in compliance with President Biden's um, executive order, they said they're going to look at this a little bit differently. They're going to do some testing. They're going to keep people on. And that's because basically when they announced that uh, policy at Southwest Airlines, the pilots, the, um, uh, the the ground crew, the other workers all started to conduct these mini strikes. And basically we were talking about it last week, shut down the airlines in a lot of part of the country. And so you know, they've basically backed off of that. But I think you're going to see this on a much broader scale. And the thing I'm concerned about is with these public vaccine mandates, where you're seeing police forces laying off 15 to 20 percent of the workforce, you know, you're going to get stressed to the point of breaking those organizations. And when you break those organizations, you've got it. You've defunded the, the police and God help us then, because you know, we're going to be in for a lot more of a problem than someone just not getting vaccinated or having natural antibodies as opposed to vaccine antibodies. Well, again, buddy, you, you, I mean, think about what is happening here. I mean, it is so, it's a combination of being disappointing and alarming at the same time, right? So 
I am unaware, someone can make me aware, but I am unaware of any portion of the nation that currently has a COVID treatment crisis on its hands, right? I am unaware of any overwhelmed hospitals, overwhelmed nursing homes, et cetera. I mean, by all accounts, COVID is you know, not cured. Uh, we, we haven't cured the flu. There's a lot of things we haven't cured, right? So COVID is not cured. It is not gone, but it is under control. And yet, and everyone knows that, right? I mean, all you have to do is look around and you can see, hey, this, this COVID thing is not what it once was. If it ever was a national level health crisis, it certainly isn't now. And yet, we're still pushing these mandates to the point where we are taking experienced police officers, firefighters, airline pilots, sailors, soldiers, Marines, airmen out of the mix solely because they have made the personal decision not to be vaccinated, which is clearly not a criminal decision to make, right? No one is being prosecuted for this, thank God. And then you take the next step and you say, well, why is this happening? And, and the obvious answer is, well, the president said it has to. Where the hell are the leadership of all of these organizations from the Department of Defense to state police just saying, we're not doing it. Like this is one of the things that I was taught as a cadet at the Air Force Academy and then as an officer in the military was you are required to obey every, wait for it, lawful command, right? A command that, that is lawful and that makes sense in the carrying out of your duty. Where are the leadership saying, hey, my job is to make sure the Navy is as fit to fight and win as is possible. That's not going to happen if I cut loose a bunch of experienced sailors. And oh, by the way, folks, it's not like you can just go out and recruit more. Okay, I mean, they have to go through boot camp and then they have to go through years of training to become capable soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, right? I mean, same thing's true of police officers, same thing's true of firefighters. So if you let a guy go who's got 10 years experience, it's going to take you 10 years to get someone who can fill that person's shoes, right? And so where are the leadership saying, hey, Mr. President, I hear what you're saying, but in my judgment, it makes more sense to leave these experienced folks in their critical positions than it does to simply willy-nilly let people go uh, because they haven't chosen to be vaccinated. Like my job is not to be the vaccine police. My job is to run an effective Navy. And I can't do that because of your vaccine mandate. And so I'm not going to implement it. Where is the leadership courage that you expect out of people who have stars on their shoulders? Where is that? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, it, it's not anywhere. I mean, they're, they're busy you know, covering up what they did in Afghanistan all the way down. And I don't I don't see any of it. And, you know, we, we just found out that the Supreme Court refused to uh, stop the Maine, the state of Maine, their vaccine mandate from going into effect. So there's certainly no courage coming from the judicial branch. And again, we're not saying that people should not get the vaccine. We both got the vaccine. We're not saying that um, that that you know, the vaccines are not effective. They are. They're very effective. They give you a much better chance um, at surviving COVID than no vaccine. Um, but what we are saying is to force people uh, to get the vaccine or basically be ostracized 
from society is a very difficult proposition in this constitutional democracy that we live in. And you know, you, it may take something like the Supreme Court uh, to step up here. And I know the Supreme Court of today it pales in comparison to what it used to be, but there was a time where the Supreme Court would rise to moments like this, when the legislative branch and the executive branch are unable to do the right thing, and you know, they they would do the right thing. For example, you know, you look at something um, like you know Brown versus Board of Education, which was decades before its time. Uh, that's an example of where the Supreme Court stepped up. Look at what happened at the outset of the pandemic. We said, hey, look, everybody, we need two weeks. Lock it down. I know it's going to suck. I know it's going to hit everybody in their pocketbook. I know we're going to have repercussions, but I am asking you to do this on behalf of your neighbors, of your friends, of the, you know, the folks that are at risk in this country. We effing did it. And unfortunately, there's so much leadership cowardice within various parts of the government that won't buck up, that won't say, not on my watch. You're going to have to find somebody else to do that. Where are those people? We are going to go at it for one more uh, segment here where we try to empower you, the business owner, to make decisions with full knowledge about what's going on around you in this crazy thing we call the earth. Well, next, Brad, we lost a great leader, Colin Powell. Uh, former uh, national security advisor under uh, President Reagan, uh, head of the Joint Chiefs under President Bush, and then Secretary of State under the second President Bush, uh, passed away at 84, complications from, uh, from COVID. He's someone who's sort of been around all my life in government, and both on the military side, he was a great soldier who did a couple of tours in Vietnam, uh, rose through the ranks, advised presidents of both sides, both parties, and you know, obviously worked with with uh, Reagan, Bush, then Clinton, then the, the the next Bush, endorsed President Obama in 2008. But certainly a great leader, a leader who didn't like the polarized uh, uh, nature of today's politics, someone who probably could have run for president and won in 1996, against Bill Clinton, but chose not to. But you know, it seems to me like the word that describes Colin Powell best is, is American, Brad. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I have heard people criticize Colin Powell, but even the folks who criticize him always hedge that by you know, commenting on his integrity, on his, on his record, on his background, on his stick-to-itiveness, et cetera, right? And so, I mean, that is a loss for the United States of America. And if we had more folks like Colin Powell in leadership today, instead of the useless Mark Milley, things would be going better, right? I mean, would things be going perfectly? Probably not. They never do, but better for sure. And, and I don't know what it means. It always drives me nuts when you hear someone died of complications from COVID. I, I, I don't know what that means. My understanding is that he was also battling cancer. At the age of 84, my suspicion is that the cancer was more of an issue than whatever complication COVID might have brought along. Um, but in any case, uh, certainly a, a great American, a great leader, and someone who will be missed. Yeah, absolutely. And someone who, um, I guess it's rare these days that you see a military figure sort of um, bridge between that many 
administrations in different roles, continuing to work up the 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 ladder. Um, I, I think I think it's tell, telling that he rose through the military ranks in a difficult time to do that for an African American. It sort of goes back to you know giving people an equal opportunity. You know, Colin Powell was given an equal opportunity. He thrived in multiple different environments. You know, there were some swings and misses, and I think he's the first to admit it, like the whole weapons of mass destruction thing and Iraq. Um, but I think that, you know, by and large, a great leader, and, it, and it's really too bad that we don't have someone like that today who we could point to and say, you know, th- this would be a good, a good president, not a president that's going to rage some sort of crazy race war on one side or some sort of crazy delusional war on the other side, but a president who's, who's going to go down the middle and maybe form a cabinet with some of the better people of both parties and, you know, truly lead the country towards a better future as opposed to all the crazy partisan stuff we have to deal with today. You know, unfortunately, or for better or for worse, I guess it's going to go one of two ways. Either people will get fed up with it and they'll vote out the extremists and they'll seek consensus, or we're just going to continue down this path until the culture that made the United States what it has been simply dissolves. And I, I don't know what the future looks like. I'm certainly not projecting we're going to have some sort of civil war, um, but it will not be the same country that you know, won the West, won two world wars, established freedom as being something that was obtainable uh, by any country that sought to pursue it. I mean, we can't, you, you can't look at any developing country at this point in time in the eye and say, Hey, we're going to back you up. I mean, if you make your move, hey, Brad, can you look freedom. a country, can you look a country in the eye? Sure. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. I do it all the time, uh-huh. but they, they, you can't do that. And because we've, you know, we, we did, we, we attempted to do that with Afghanistan and look where that got us. And so we've just lost credibility to do that. And again, I, do I think it's, it's gone to the point where we can never get it back? No, I think we probably could, but if it goes much farther, I think we're going to get there. Yeah. And listen, I, um, I appreciate what you said about, you know, people who criticized Colin Powell always hedged their criticism, called him a great American, great Patriot. I mean, there are a lot of big tributes coming in today. My favorite is from the former president, Donald Trump. Have you read that yet, Brad? I have not. Uh, here it goes. This is from a press release issued by uh, Donald J. Trump, 45th president of the United States of America, dated October 19th, 2021. And I'm quoting here. I'm going to read the whole thing. I don't usually do this, but I'm read the whole thing. Wonderful to see Colin Powell, who made many big mistakes on Iraq and famously so-called weapons of mass destruction, be treated in death so beautifully by the fake news media. Hope that happens to me someday. He was a classic rhino, if even that, always being the first to attack other Republicans. He made plenty of mistakes, but anyway, may he rest in peace. Well, there you go. And that's why people love Donald Trump in the way that they do. They just, he's, you know, he's like everyone's grandfather, always got a kind word. Yeah. You gotta, he just can't help himself. Cannot help himself. He can't, he can't help himself. And it was his undoing and it will continue to be his undoing. I mean, this is a guy who clearly has aspirations to run for president again in 2024. He probably will. And this kind of behavior, 
which he must think is either reasonable or at least entertaining is going to continue to be his undoing. Yeah. I don't know who reads that and thinks it's appropriate, thinks it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's very, very uh, sophomoric. I, I read it today and I thought it was a joke. Um, I, I really did. Um, and you find out now it, it literally came from his office. I mean, someone wrote that, released that, and it's the same stuff with the John McCain stuff. And, and, you know, the, the one thing you, you, you do is you respect people, especially people like Colin Powell, who, you know, did a lot more for this country than, than, than Trump did. And it did a lot, did a lot more for this country than Biden did and actually served in a foreign war, which neither of them did. Um, you know, which I have never done. And, you know, you see what someone like Powell does, not for his own, uh, you know, aggrandizement. If he wanted to do that, he could have run in 1996 and probably won. Um, but for the betterment of the country, right, for sound um, uh, military policy, I mean, I mean the, the great leader and to be treated like that says, uh, I, I think it's, 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 it's a mark on, Trump's character when he issues a press release like that, of course. Um, but no, I'm sure also, his son liked it. I'm sure. I'm sure he. I'm sure he did. But it also it also goes to a broader thing of how you treat people and and treat people with decency. And, and the current president doesn't do any better. I mean, he's he's lecturing people and and you know telling people what to do and doing the opposite and praising. Well, he came to Chris women. Dodd's defense. He's no, never he, seen Chris Dodd sexually assault a waitress he, well he, he he may have he just doesn't he just doesn't remember but that you know that's all i'm going to say about that but i i think that's the reason we have uh the politics we do today a lot of people are going to think that's great a lot of people are going to think it's not great but they're going to issue similar uh similar statements when when you know republicans pass or they get COVID or, or something and it's just so so vile and disgusting and not decent so let's move on to something more decent uh, let's move on to the update on the big uh, the big asteroid that is out. Oh in, yeah, okay. Well, where are we with that? Well, it hasn't moved as much as we thought, but it's moved a lot closer to Earth at this point. That doesn't sound good. No, William Shatner has come and gone. He's already come back to the planet Earth, so apparently mm -hmm. that had nothing to do with deflecting the asteroid. But as far as we know, NASA is on course to send. A, uh, a a big uh, big rocket ship up to outer space to uh, combat the uh, the asteroid. It's going to look the asteroid, Brad, in the eye. Yeah, it is, and then it's going to give it that little nudge that you need to deflect that thing away. Again, we've talked about this a couple of weeks now, like a tight end just giving the defensive end a little chuck chip lock. on his way out in, into yeah. running his route, and that's all it's going to take. And then that asteroid's going to go. Whoosh right past the good old earth and off to, you know, destroy some other planet we care less about. Yeah, exactly. And, and speaking of, um, speaking of these sort of intergalactic struggles, I don't know if you saw the big news today, but Sylvester Stallone has basically said that he is done with the Expendables franchise. Oh, come on. Those are great movies. Terrific movies. I mean, you could send those guys into outer space. Oh, absolutely. And there will be no, there'll be no asteroid that could withstand the. Well, there'll be no asteroids power. left. They take care of all of them. No, I mean, they, they got Schwarzenegger. They got uh, Chuck uh, Norris. Chuck Norris, Stratham. They got, uh, do they have Hasselhoff, David Hasselhoff, the Hoff? Perhaps. 
I can't remember. I can't remember the list, but I mean, we've hit the big ones, right? And if you put those guys in space and you say, listen, asteroids are a problem. That's all you got to say. They're just going to take care of it. We also have other problems going on in, uh, in, in space, sort of dovetails with what we talked about uh, earlier with our domestic policy. As you know, if you don't have your house in order, others are going to come and try to take it down. We saw that China fired a hypersonic nuclear uh, uh, rocket around, right around the Earth, sort of showing its uh, advanced weaponry. Uh, it was said that it took uh, the U.S. military by surprise. Um, and when asked about it, Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, who I also think is a vegan farmer, Brad, a vegan farmer, said when asked about it, whether or not the U.S. is concerned about this Chinese military buildup, said, I quote, we welcome stiff competition. Oh, man. You have to wonder if she's just miss or uninformed or if she's an idiot, or if she's just doesn't care anymore and is you know just saying things to see what kind of a reaction she's going to get. I don't know her, so it's hard for me to make a call on that. But we're not really looking for stiff competition in the nuclear arena. Right? That's you know I mean we may be looking for it economically. We may be looking for it with technology. Obviously, competition drives folks to, you know, make the next innovation, et cetera, when you're talking about markets. But when you're talking about nuclear war, you don't really want to look at your opponent and say, that a boy, that was a good stiff jab to the kisser. Let's keep that up. Right. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And I first thought this was some way to go get the Asteroid. So at first, when this was fired, I was for it. Now I'm against it. But the, you also see North Korea firing more uh, rockets. You see China very aggressive in its uh, uh, naval exercises around Taiwan, and it's flying over Taiwanese airspace. But Brad, the good news is President Biden has also said, and this also comes, Brad, from the press conference with Jim Psaki, um, that, uh, that President Biden will be preparing to host a virtual summit with uh, Chinese President Xi later this year. So how do you host, let me ask you this, how do you host a virtual summit? Like if I have a virtual powwow with you, right, where we're on Zoom or we're in some sort of a FaceTime, who's the host? Is the, the, the initi- person initiated the call the host? Is the person that received the call? I mean, who, who's the host? How, who's to say he's hosting? Is he offering some sort of a, uh, a spread? Is there going to be um, you know, a, a picnic basket sent to China? And even if it was, she's not going to eat it, Brad. She's not going to He's got bodyguards in the trial that food. It could be poisoned. Next, Brad, finally, we've got barred or banned. Um, this is a, uh, a Stevie Bronze award-winning segment. Just this week, we learned that we may very well be in line for a silver Stevie, uh, silver Stevie, I don't know. Um, but, uh, but at this point, uh, we're still a bronze Stevie winning organization, IP frequently. Again, this is a serious award, cuts ice. And this segment, Brad, has been recognized in over 42 countries as a prominent bronze Stevie award winning segment. This week, um, barter band, uh, unpaid 
volunteers, barter band. Should you bar them? Should you ban them? What do you think? Well, it's sort of redundant, right? I mean, I think if you are a volunteer, you are unpaid. I mean, I think that's kind of the nature of volunteerism, although, you know, maybe not. Maybe you can volunteer for a paid position. I don't know. Uh, But I guess it would depend on the circumstances. I mean, if I had people volunteering for the unpaid position of surprising me at random street corners and pushing me into oncoming traffic, I would bar or ban those volunteers. But if I had volunteers that were useful, purposeful, well-trained, serving the public, volunteers of that nature, uh, and that were doing it unpaid, you know, on their own time, just, you know, sort of good people willing to help their community, I think those volunteers I would keep. The Art Institute of Chicago, again, your old stomping grounds, again, you were a Chicagoanian, relies on a number of volunteers um, to work in its um, museum and within its institution because it is an art institution. Um, They had over 100 of these volunteers, 82 of whom were active. Again, all all unpaid, all of whom are unpaid. Um, In September of this year, they were all let go. They were fired according to the Wall Street Journal. And the reason they were fired is not because they chose to take four or uh, five months of uh, paternity leave, which I would say was paid. Um, No, rather, they were not diverse enough. And so the Institute decided to sort of take the Etch-A-Sketch, shake it and start over. Um, So the question now is, should all of these volunteers, if they're not diverse enough, uh, to the liking of the board that runs the Institute, uh, be barred or banned, uh, um, beaten, I guess is another way to look at it. Uh, some people beat their head into a, uh, into a, a wall when they hear a story like this. But Brad, what do you think ultimately? You're going to bar them, you're going to ban them? Well, I, let me just make sure I understand. So the, the Art Institute of Chicago, which is a, a relatively well-known art museum, had a number of what I believe they called docents, right? There are these folks, they are volunteers and they lead, you know, guided tours through the museum for school kids, for, you know, special groups, for, you know, retirees that show up on a bus, whoever. And in order to do that, they have to actually know, not just their way around the museum, obviously it'd be tough to lead a tour if you got lost yourself, but they have to be able to know the art itself and know it in enough detail that they can answer questions, that they can point out interesting facts. And it's my understanding that it it takes like a decade, which sounds remarkable, but when you stop and think about how big that museum is, how much art there is, all the various different types of art, all of the information you'd have to know about how one makes that art, famous artists, et cetera, I guess it, it, it actually makes some sense that before you could say, yep, I know everything there is to know about every piece of art in here, that that would take you 10 years. And they had a number of those folks who could do that. And they let all of them who were white go. Mm-hmm. Is that, do I have that correctly? I mean, my understanding is that they terminated all of them and then rehired some of them. But, um, but basically they, hired the, they fired the large majority of their unpaid volunteer workforce. Well, I, I mean, but I, you know what? I, Go ahead. I mean, at this point in our culture, maybe the best thing is to let these lunatics have their day. And then when it all falls apart, when they cannot conduct tours, 
And there's no one in that building who knows the answer to any questions about any of the art. Maybe then someone will say, well, geez, I mean, that was a bad idea. And if I guess I could see it, I have no idea. But I mean, if, if there was a policy in place that said you have to be white to be a docent in the Chicago Museum of Art or Art Institute, and then I guess, you know, that that's probably something you look at and you go, mm, we probably need to adjust that. But my understanding is there just happened to be folks who were largely white who volunteered to take those positions. No one was telling anyone else of any race, creed, color, et cetera, that they couldn't do it. Just very few folks showed up to volunteer for that position. I don't know why. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Right. Sounds like there was an equal opportunity there to come and put in the time necessary to become a docent and just happened that in the city of Chicago at the art Institute thereof, that those were mostly white folks. And I, I don't get how it helps to a rid yourself for the people who know the most about mu your museum or B how that is going to encourage non-white folks to come and take those positions. I mean, what do you say? Do you just say, Hey, look, we fired all the white people. And so, you know, come and take their job. I, I, I mean, how's that supposed to work? Well, I don't, I have no idea. I don't know how these people think. I mean, presumably the people that fired all of the volunteers could have over time started an initiative where they tried to diversify the pool of volunteers. They never did that. Um, I don't see how this, I don't see how this helps them at all. I, I think it's obviously racially motivated and and it, it's harming ultimately the institute itself right because you're gonna you're gonna have a period of time where you're either gonna have to get new people up and running which you've proven you couldn't do um in the past because you couldn't bring a diverse group in um you know but also it's it's, it's kind of a slap in the face to the people that spent a lot of time learning about this museum and teaching people about the museum. But the good news, Brad, is that the fired volunteers were given a two-year free pass to the museum. Yeah, so, which, of course, they're going to use on almost a daily basis, because where would you rather be than in an institute that you dedicated a significant chunk of your life to volunteering to assist and then just threw you out on your ear because when they looked at you, you happened to be the wrong color? I, mean, I just... Again, I, I, I maintain my position that the best way to eliminate this sort of thinking going forward is to let it play out, prove itself to be ignorant and stupid, and then force people to back up and go, well, wait a minute, you know, maybe we don't want to make knee-jerk snap decisions based on race in any capacity. And so if that's what it takes to get back to a position of sanity where we judge people on merit then so be it. Yeah, I would get it if the docents weren't um, wearing masks or vaccinated. I mean, that would make complete well, sense. I can't have that. Or if they were on some sort of paid uh, paternity leave. But, uh, you know, again, Brad, that is something we'll have to tackle another day. We have come to the end of another episode. Thank you all for joining. And we'll talk to you all next week. This has been IP Frequently. Once again, clearing a forest of lies with the machete of truth. You're welcome.